My name is Keith Beavers, and if it's wrong to love candy corn, one's called chicken feed, which is weird. I don't want to be right. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers, and I am the tastings director of Vine Pair. Cool title. Today, we're going to talk about a word that gets a little confusing sometimes. It's called capitalization. What does it mean? What are we doing here? Who likes it? Who doesn't like it? This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by La Marca. When you drink La Marca, you're enjoying more than just an awesome bubbly wine. You're also tapping into the incredible culture and lifestyle of the people who craft this wine, offering a taste of authentic Italy stateside. Salute. So, in 1756, in southwestern France, a dude by the name of Jean-Antoine Chaptal was born. This guy was born of humble means. His dad was an apothecary guy. So Jean-Antoine was sort of already into the whole chemistry thing. But small business owner, his parents didn't really have a lot of money. But he had a really rich uncle who he persuaded to help him go to school. And thank you to that uncle, because Jean-Antoine Cheptal would go on to, I don't know how to say this, improve upon experimentations that were already going on in France about improving the quality of wine at that time in France's wine history. He went to the University of Montpellier, This university has seen a lot of innovation in wine throughout its history. And and this guy's contributions were so important, he was actually the university actually created and founded a chair of chemistry for him in 1781. Now, the thing about in the wine space, he's known for a certain thing called cheptalization, which we're gonna get into in a second. But He's also very famous for actually introducing the metric system into France, which is kind of a big deal. So I just wanted to put that out there because this other thing he was famous for in in the wine space is pretty cool, but that's actually kind of a big thing for the entire culture of France. So the story goes that Jean-Antoine Cheptal was concerned, one of the things he was concerned with was the lack of scientific knowledge of post-French Revolution wine producers. The wine at this time apparently was of quote unquote poor quality. And I'm not really sure why there is all this talk about when you're reading about the research of it, you see people manipulating wine in ways to enhance the quality. It, there's a, there's a sense that the wine was very light in body, light in color, needed some depth, that's kind of, you think about the, 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 the English falling in love with claret, claret from Bordeaux. Claret means kind of a lighter red wine. So it kind of, it seems that there may have been some issues with getting depth of fruit from wine around this time. There was also a lot of wine 
being made that was just great, but there was a lot of wine that had some issues. Chaptal was a prolific writer, but it was in 1801 when he wrote the theoretical and practical treaties of vine culture is when he started talking about this idea of adding sugar to the must of wine or during fermentation to enhance the depth of wine. This is not something he invented, but it's something that he uh, built on from previous chemists from France, specifically a dude by the name of Pierre-Joseph Mocquer. But because of his popularity or just being known in the public space and because of his prolific writings, this process became known as Sheptalization, named after Jean-Antoine Sheptal. This work of his that expanded on this theory would then be translated into multiple languages, distributed up throughout the world. And in the mid-19th century, it made its way to Germany, which was having significant climatic issues. And a chemist by the name of Ludwig Gall introduced Sheptalization to Germany. It was Jean-Antoine Sheptal's belief that adding sugar to the must of wine, or the must that would become wine, was perfectly natural. And the sugar that he spoke of was actually, well, there was grape concentrate, there was also cane sugar, but he's really keen on beet sugar to the point that he actually studied the extraction of sugar from beets as part of his career. So what is chaptalization? Well, it is a way of increasing the final alcoholic strength of a wine by adding sugar to either the grape juice or the must. And it can be added before or during fermentation. It's usually added during fermentation. Um, it's noted that if you add it before fermentation, that amount of sugar can sometimes stunt the multiplication or the multiplying of the yeast cells. And you listen to Wine 101, you know how wine is made. So it kind of makes sense what's going on here, right? You, you're adding sugar to the must. You're adding the amount of stuff the yeast needs to produce the two things, alcohol and carbon dioxide, while then creating maceration through heat and pigment extraction. The more sugar you have, the more the yeast has to run with, the higher the alcohol can be. And then what, because alcohol was once sugar, alcohol sometimes comes through in a finished wine as kind of a bolder, sweeter vibe. And then you have, so that's what you have. Now, the thing is, the, the EU calls this Chapitalization and everything it's in, that involves that, they call it enrichment, meaning you are not manipulating, but you're enriching something that was once a raw product. In English, we call it amelioration. So this is where things get a little messy. Not really messy, just kind of misunderstood, I guess. Well, it's not misunderstood, but just really confusing. 
Okay, let's break this down because I know that when you're you're in your wine journey, you're you know you're hearing you hear this word chaptalization. Like what people talk about it, and they as in a negative way. People talk about it in a positive way. What what is going on here? Well, the thing is, there are places in the world that do not need to do this because of their climactic situation. In that the EU actually regulates this process based on the climatic zones an area sits in in the EU. For example, there's these zones. There's zones A, B, C, and it depends on where the area lies within this three-tier zone thing. There's a good example in the Oxford Wine Companion where it is permitted in zone A, which includes the UK and Germany. That makes sense. Remember earlier I talked about Germany had a climactic situation where they needed to use chaptalization. Well, they actually, over the history since this happened, they've been, they use it a lot. Um, but again, regulations have come into place, which we'll get into in a second. But according to the EU, it is not permitted in zone C, which includes Southern Italy. But each country has their own limits or rules that dictate the use of this process. Whereas if Southern Italy, it's not permitted. Okay. Well, all of Italy doesn't permit this because that's what they wanted to do in Germany. It's a little bit confusing because it depends on the wine that's being made nowadays and which category of that wine is being made will determine whether the use is permitted or not. But as far as the history of wine, modern wine is concerned, in the 1980s, wine was a little bit rough all over Europe. I mean, we were doing stuff, like we were forming AVAs like crazy, but in Europe, they were having a bit of a quality control situation. Um, you know, you can talk about that. I talk about that in all the organic and um, stuff that I talked about. But in 1993... The EU was concerned about a wine surplus, and what they they actually officially they announced a disapproval. They didn't outlaw chaptalization. They just said we officially disapprove of this process. Okay, so it was just like an announcement. But the thing is, it kind of worked because even though it wasn't a law they put in place, they kind of said, "Hey, we see what you guys are doing here, and when you don't need to do it, you're still doing it." It's called enrichment and maybe even manipulating a little bit. So kind of like, you know, curb your stuff, dudes, dudes. So what happened was, even though it wasn't a law, that kind of announcement, you know, when the EU speaks, people listen, where it was commonplace, especially in Northern Europe, even when they didn't need to do it, people kind of backed off from doing it to the point where it's now not a common routine to do chaptalization in wine. So where is chaptalization, amelioration, enrichment today in wine? Well, that's where it kind of sits. It's permitted or not permitted in certain places in the EU, but then every country gets to say what they want to do with it or not. The EU disapproves of just mad chap going on all over the place. The United States permits it, when producing wine from low sugar content. 
And that is primarily used in places like Oregon and Long Island when they have an issue with, you know, high acid and low fruit. But also I heard that, I read that muscadine, which is prominent in Florida of all places, even in Florida, the grape itself struggles to ripen with a lot of, a lot of sugar. So apparently chapitalization is used for muscadine wine. But here in the U.S., you know, we can do whatever we want. But then that's when the states come in and kind of curb the situation. So this is where we're at right now with permitted. Chapitalization is permitted in Canada, Chile, France, Germany, New Zealand, Switzerland, U.K., and the U.S., in France, it's permitted in Alsace, Burgundy, Bordeaux, and Champagne. In the U.S., notably, is Long Island and Oregon, which I just talked about. It is not permitted in Australia, Austria, Germany, Italy, Portugal, Spain, South Africa, and for the U.S., specifically California. So there you have it. It's kind of a weird subject, right? I mean, with everyone being organic and biodynamic and all that kind of stuff, this would be considered something to take a, that takes away from the natural process of winemaking. But does it? I don't know. Because you also have, according to the guy that it's named after, he thought it was natural that you would add some sort of sugar to low sugar juice or must to help the wine along. Um, it's used in modern day in certain places, like like I said, you know, Willamette and Long Island, and you know, it's used in Burgundy and Bordeaux. But it's it really just helps create good wine. So wherever you stand on it, I don't know. I'm just here to kind of give you an idea of what this is all about, and then you can make your own decisions depending on whether you find out if chapitalization's been done with the wine you're drinking or not. So that's chapitalization, guys. We'll talk next week. Vine Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pear. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pear, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pear staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. E&J Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pair's Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.